subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me, as always, my lovely co-host. Hello, once again, I am Rex. And we are back again here for the second week of April, and we have been working hard to get things going here, and here we are. Mm. Very swiftly working. (laughs) Very swiftly, swiftly indeed. So it's only been a week, Rex, but how have you been? Oh, doing pretty wonderful. How about yourself? I'm just doing absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I, I believe you've had a busy night tonight. I have. I've been basically working on Kaiju Conversation stuff for quite literally like 13 hours as of right now. 13 Ooh. to 14 hours. 13 hours. <laughs> yes. That's a uh, Yeah. So for anybody who's like, how does somebody work on a podcast that long? Uh, we're recording this the day of Kaiju Conversation Live, episode two into the madness of Marchand, the second live stream of for the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And that went on for about five hours, roughly. The after stream added about an hour and a half to that. Um pre-stream I was prepping so I had to get everything hooked up and whatnot and then after the stream in the after party stream uh, I had to research the title of the movie that we're talking about which has escaped me unfortunately Um, of course it has yes yes it has so I've been doing that and then waiting on Rex to get his stuff done Uh, I took a power nap I've drank one full thing of caffeine, and I'm starting on my second one, so I'm about to have a quick rush of 400 milligrams of caffeine to my body. (laughs) So hopefully, I don't sound like a psychopath. But yes, I've been... Well, you can't change what's already there. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I I gotta throw in these jabs. Of course you do. Yeah. It's okay. I know you're pro- I know you're projecting. I know. It's okay. Projecting. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes, quite. <laughs> what were you talking about just before this recording? Uh <laughs> I don't know exactly. what you're talking. I don't know what you're talking about. Not nothing. that I do. No, I I don't I don't think you do. <laughs> So, yes, so to say it's been a little crazy is, I feel like, an understatement, especially considering that I've been awake very late the last few nights between working on the podcast, working on my house, working on uh, helping out my best friend, and just, like, trying to get everything done, trying to get things done and watched and caught up and still have a life and... It is very difficult. It is very difficult. But we're here. How was the stream, by the way? 
only ended it up was catching like maybe the first few minutes. You know, the stream was a lot of fun. Um, Nathan and I covered a, a plethora of topics. We had Mark Bailey come on to talk about Giant Bug Cinema, a Monster Kids yeah. Guide, the book. I actually did see a bit of that part. <laughs> um, he came on as a guest. Uh, we've never done this before, so this was kind of a, a test to see if we could do these kind of like like call-in guests, call-in appearances, and mm-hmm. it actually went over very well. Um, mm. The thing about Kaiju Conversation Live is I strive to keep it 100% unscripted and unplanned. I don't want there to be a lot of thought. I want it to be the raw conversation. Like, these these are pretty raw. Like, you and I have legitimate conversations about this stuff, and we just kind of go for it. Mm-hmm. But it is edited. It's censored. It's yeah, it's Plus, processed. I mean, we do have at least some degree of an idea where we're both going. Correct. And we kind of do have a limit to how much we can talk. Mm-hmm. Whereas yes. Kaiju... Yes. I... <laughs> yes. Whereas uh, Kaiju Conversation Live, once we start rolling, we don't stop until, like, I'm essentially, like, we've hit a point where I think we're done talking. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Nathan and I could have kept going. I'm sure of it. So we we had a great conversation. We talked about Ultraman. We talked about Kikaida, uh, Generations Kikaida, Kamen Rider, Godzilla. Uh, we talked about SRS Cinema. We talked about podcasting, art, how it helps us. We got mm-hmm. to promote the book. We got to link the Rondo Awards. Um and I, I'm pretty sure the the audio will go live before this episode comes out. But the excerpt from the live stream where we talk about Giant Bug Cinema and how to support it, that will be available on the podcast feed for you guys to listen to. And it'll direct you on where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we, we give a backstory of how the book came to be, uh, what... Nathan and I contributed and the outcome and how well it's been received. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was, it was great to have Mark on. Um, Mark and I have been friends for quite a while. He was probably one of the first people I made friends with in the community back in Hello. 20, 2018. Uh, we both were at the G fest uh, amateur video contest. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we, we met there and we ended up being friends on Facebook. And from there we uh, just chatted here and there. And then I posted on my status that I wrote for Kaiju ramen magazine. And, and from there he reached out and said, Hey, I saw you write for Kaiju stuff. How would you like to write for this? And the rest is history. And now I am a Rondo Award nominated writer. Mm. So 
quite quite the interesting development there. Um, and for me, at least, it's so surreal to think that this all has happened and that I'm a part of this. This what I didn't think was going to be a big deal has turned out to be a big deal. Yeah, and and so quickly in the grand scheme of things as well. You say that, but it only appears quickly because I wasn't talking about it. I actually, so he messaged me back in 2020 to do this. And six months later, essentially, I wrote my review for Ghidorah. We talked about it in our episode where we talked about Ghidorah, but it took me like quite a while to write it and then send it in. And then Mm -hmm. nothing came of it until he went in and made sure it looked good and it sounded good. Um, I think I had one editing issue, so I fixed that. Yeah. And then he said it looks great. And that was it until uh, I want to say it was about five months ago when he said, here's the book cover. We're going to go live. and then. You know, shortly after that, the book went live, and then from there, uh, a few weeks ago, we found out we got nominated for a Rondo Hatton Award, and here we are now in kind of a campaign trying to see if we can get it to win. We've the books came out; you can buy it, you can read it. So, mm. I mean, it's it's been three years, which is really weird to think that, like this was something that started on my end three years ago. Yeah. Because as of 2023, we have hit kind of my five year anniversary, which is kind of weird to say. So Kaiju conversation has been around for four years as of this year. Um, Actually this month, I think this month is going to be the fourth anniversary. Let me really? take a quick check. I have, I have the date in, uh, uh, no. So the, so 2018, November 16th is when the podcast started. Mm-hmm. Um, so in November of this year, it'll be five years since the podcast was created Mm. now we haven't been posting frequently but that's how long the podcast has been an idea yeah we didn't really start posting until 2019 but i i mean nonetheless the the podcast was still birthed november 16th Mm -hmm. and i came in shortly after that so prior to Kaiju Conversation, I had made a few stop motion demos and my first amateur film, mm-hmm. amateur short film. And that was in 2018. So we're about at the p- point in time where I've hit my fifth year developing content in the Kaiju Tokusatsu uh creative field Mm. and half of that time i've been waiting for giant bug cinema 
and here we are. And it's probably the most successful thing I've worked on. That's not to say Kaiju Conversation has not been doing amazing. Um, I mean, Rex, you and I both know that the podcast has actually been doing really well um, as of lately, which when I'm not, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging because I, I, I don't mean <laughs> to brag, but like we have passed 5,000 downloads. We have officially passed 5,000 downloads. Mm. <laughs> and that is something I didn't, expect to see and our our average downloads per episode and weekly downloads have gone up yeah and it's so to me it's just something so amazing to to be able to sit here and say we have done this Mm. and like our our analytics for I'll, I'll just say this I, I don't want to dive too much into our analytics when Rex and I came back of August of last year we were at the lowest we had been in quite some time this was actually probably the closest to a death kaiju conversation had because uh, you were busy with school. I was busy with managing some plays, acting, and just working on so much. And then yeah. we came back. And and now the podcast is doing better than ever. <laughs> better than ever. And to think that we're only going higher just baffles me. At, mm. at the rate we're going, I could see us double what we were doing last year at this time. Mm. Come come August of this year, we could be doing double what we were doing last year. Yeah, which is something really like it 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 it's quite flattering for me, and and I appreciate all of the support everybody has given us. Mm. it's just it's it's so nice and to think that you and i are about to i mean we're we're at the beginning of the biggest idea we've had for this podcast we Mm. are not going to stop for two months Mm. roughly that is a huge undertaking yeah so you guys can you you can expect for us to be putting out content and this will not be like 50% content we are going to do our best and we're going to try and we're going to give you guys the best we possibly can mm. and giving you the best we possibly can also includes telling you about the tokusatsu we've watched since the last recording <laughs> Which wow. will only be a week, but in a week you can watch some tokusatsu. So Rex, what tokusatsu have you watched? What a transition there. <laughs> I mean, it worked, right? Did it work? It did. It did work. Hmm. Um, since the last episode, I have continued on with Kamen Rider Black 
Um, now I'm at episode 30, I believe. Um, nice. And outside of that, I rewatched Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, the 74 film. <laughs> Classic. Indeed. Indeed it is. I... I always love a bit of Shaw Godzilla action. <laughs> and like, oh, I don't think I told this story last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla is, you know, it's a, it's a great movie. Yeah. I would argue one of the most popular aspects, minus the fact it was Mechagodzilla's first outing, mm-hmm. is the score by Sato. Yeah. So my best friend has been getting back into music lately. He actually has been talking about maybe even looking into music producing. Um, mm-hmm. He he's not dead set on his career path yet. Um, whereas like I'm I've been like, I'm going to be a film director or I'm going to die. Like it's one mm-hmm. of the two. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. I was like, OK. And he was like, I, I want to listen to every all the music I can and just kind of appreciate it. And I was like, OK, I want your opinion on a song. So I put in Godzilla versus Angiris by Marusato from Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Yeah. And, you know, that's the one where it's like, da, 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 da. And it gets like there's some parts where it just feels like it's. It's not the thing I love about that track specifically is it's not strict. Like there mm-hmm. are moments where it feels like Sato just let the orchestra just go and have a little fun, do their own little romp. Yeah. Which makes sense in the movie. Like that's a really genius idea to like have these moments where it's just what I would consider the the brass just going off and just doing their own thing, mm-hmm. which helps sim- like it, it, it really helps that fight feel powerful. Mm. And as we're listening to the song, he grabs the volume dial and he turns it up. <laughs> and I, there, He's never watched the Godzilla movie. He didn't know what he was listening to. And there's something about being a Godzilla fan and having your best friend turn up a Godzilla soundtrack piece that just hits so hard. Mm. And like I had the biggest, dumbest smile on my face. Mm. But it's it was like, yes. This is perfect. I was like, do you know what this is from? He was like, I don't know. And I said, this is from a Godzilla movie. And he was like, really? That's pretty good. I was like, and that's where I segued. I was like, you should watch these films. So maybe maybe I can get him to watch some of these Godzilla movies. I, I don't know what I want to, to start with. Um, I've thought about Final Wars. He likes like uh, Bad Boys and... Uh, like buddy cop films and action packed stuff. So maybe he'll appreciate final wars or maybe he'll think it's stupid. So I haven't decided on what I want to maybe try and start him off. Final with. wars is, is always a good gamble. I say, yeah, but I'm also afraid that like, 
after that, everything else is going to be boring to him. Mm. And he's not going to want to watch it. Mm. So I've also thought about, like, maybe the uh, Mecha, like, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 74. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, if nothing else, he'll appreciate the music. This is true. And you know what? Here's a mailbag question for anybody listening. Message us and tell us what Godzilla movie I should have my best friend watch first. Hmm. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to be, I'm I'm not trying to be rude here. 54, I don't think will work because A, it's black and white. B, it's subtitled with no dub. I mean, I could do King of the Monsters, but it's mostly still Japanese. And C, I think it's too slow for him. He falls asleep during a lot of movies, so I feel like that's a movie that's way too slow for him. Yeah. To appreciate. And by that regards, Raids Against an automatic out. <laughs> Raids Again will not work. And to be honest, if that's the first movie I show him, I should have my Godzilla fan card revoked, I think. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, I would... 54 is an interesting movie where it's like... I would not recommend that as a first to a lot of people. Um, unless, like, you're someone who's, like, you know, like a type of cinephile, I guess. I would not recommend that as a first Godzilla film. Right, and for, like, 54, you, I think you also have to go in with some... Well, I don't think you have to, but to appreciate it, you need to go in with some understanding. Yeah. So, like... Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Bikini Atoll, uh, the American occupation, mm. and the idea of anti-war. I think yeah. those are all things you have to go in with some knowledge, which, I mean, he already knows about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and he knows about anti-war stuff, and he knows about uh, Bikini Atoll from what little I've told him. So, I mean, all he'd really have to understand is the American occupation mm-hmm. of Japan. But I still don't think that's a good starting film. Yeah. it. I mean, the thing with the Godzilla series is that it's, it, there's so much variety in it that there's no just one film that I think you can just recommend as a starter and and be like, yep, this this is just what you need as a starter. I, the right. closest thing to that is like the American films purely because of their availability. But like for someone like you or me, I think both you and I can agree that those are not the Godzilla we love. Right. So to us, that's not what either of us would want to recommend. And I, I, I don't feel like that's a proper representation of the franchise as a whole. Yeah, exactly. Um, Because, like, to be quite honestly, I feel like all the American Godzilla films just don't, they don't hit the mark. Mm-hmm. And I would argue the modern Japanese Godzilla films don't hit the mark of what a quote-unquote traditional Godzilla movie is. Yeah. So I mean, Godzilla, for better or worse, the franchise is evolving, changing, so... Right. 
So I, I feel like whether or not we like it. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like you can't start off with one of the modern films because it's a different it's a different beast. Mm-hmm. The modern interpretation's a different beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I could, you know, I, I don't think starting off with the Island trilogy, um, well, or like at least Ibra the and e- Son of and all that. Yes, I don't. I don't think Ebra, Ebra, or Son of Godzilla would be a smart choice because I feel like they would be too crude for him. Mm, um. Yeah. Same with All Monsters Attack. Yeah. And I think for All Monsters Attack, you have to have again context because that's how I learned to appreciate that film a little more was just context. Yeah. Um. I don't think starting with like Megalon or Gigan would be good because uh they I I I think they're too low budget and probably a bit too zany as well for mm-hmm. your audience. I think Hedera is too experimental mm-hmm. to be like okay so this is the standard for Godzilla because it's not. Mm-hmm. Um so, like, you could do Heisei. I don't think 84 would be good because you would have to understand 54. I mean, um, do you really, though? Like, I mean, I guess you, you don't get need away with, to. You can easily get away without watching 54. This is true. And I guess 84 would be a good, like... 84, I think, is a decent starting point. So, you know, maybe a Heisei film, maybe a Millennium film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Millennium, like choosing one of the Millennium films is probably probably your best option. Potentially. I don't think, I, I think Mothra versus would be too slow for him. I agree. Um, if it's too slow for me, it's definitely too slow for him because I can deal with slower <laughs> movies. Um. Mm. I think King Kong versus Godzilla's effects are too crude for him to appreciate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe the Ghidorah duology, maybe Destroy All Monsters, but I even think even with Destroy All Monsters, you have to have at least some other entry level to to at least like understand Ghidorah and everything. I feel like Destroy All Monsters and Invasion of Astro Monster, from the sounds of it, would probably be a bit too slow for him anyways. Potentially. So I don't know. There's like there's there's a lot to be like thought through here. I feel like from this alone, like I've narrowed it down to Ghidra the three headed monster, the Mecha Godzilla duology, maybe Astro Monster Destroyal Monsters, but I think those I don't I don't know. I feel like you have to have some context for those. Mm-hmm. Um Heisei or Millennium. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. I just I don't think that'll I don't mm. know. Let me let everybody message like just email us or message us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or on a Discord server. Just what what movie do you think uh would be best? And then maybe I mean from from that if you guys like provide like also explain why please so I can maybe understand a bit better. And maybe maybe my mind will change and I'll be like, yeah, you know what? Let's let's put him to the test and make him watch Gigan. Mm. I don't know. We'll see. 
but continue you brought up Common Rider Black and then Mecha Godzilla. Sorry we kind of got on this tangent. Um outside of that, I have watched I finally gotten around to watching Noroi, the curse. Nice. How was that? <laughs> that was pretty good. Pretty good. It was? Yeah. Isn't that a found footage? Yeah, found footage, J Horror type. You know, it stars stars um the little girl from um Darkwater as one of the characters as well. <laughs> really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, good little good little low budget horror. Um Yeah, from the same director of Sadako vs. Kayako somehow. Um <laughs> hmm. But hey, you, you did a good job. And what year did Naroi come out? Was that 03? 2005. Five? Okay. So that mm. was like tail end of J-Horror. Yeah. Uh, J-Horror boom. Yeah. And I want to say that one was kind of a sleeper hit, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I mean, anyone who knows better than me, feel free to correct me. But from what I understand, that's become more popular or well-regarded more in the modern day rather than rather than when it came out. So I would agree with you there. Interesting. Yeah, I've I've heard uh, a few people talk about it, but it, I know it doesn't have a disc release in the States compared mm. to like Pulse, One Miss Call, Ring, Juan, all that. So Yeah, which is unfortunate. It is. I, I want to watch it. That's on my list of, of J-Horror that I would love to be able to watch. Mm, mm. Well, outside of that, I've only watched one other Tokusatsu movie that I think I think you said you were going to watch. But just to make sure, what have you watched recently? So, I uh, before I tell you the Tokusatsu movie that I remember watching, um, recently Fathom Events and Toho put on another theatrical showing of a Godzilla movie. The ones yeah. Toho owns the rights uh, theatrically to, which is only three to my understanding, because Janice has 54 all the way up to 92 and then 93 to oh two is with Sony Pictures. And then Funimation has Shin. Netflix has the anime trilogy. Legendary has the legendary or Warner Brothers has the legendary films. Um, yeah. So on Godzilla Day, they did Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, and now they did Godzilla Tokyo SOS. And before mm. they showed the movie, they actually played Godzilla vs. Gigan Rex, the sequel to the Gemstone animated short film. Um, so I got to see that on the big screen, um, mm. which if you're curious on my thoughts on that, go check out our Godzilla Day recap. Mm. But after that, we got to watch Godzilla Tokyo SOS, which, I mean, it had better subtitles than against Mechagodzilla. There was no Godzilla. Oh, yeah, there was no Godzilla this time, but it was still a blend of uh, an actual translation and dub titles. For the most part, it was accurate, but every time they said Kiryu, it was replaced with Mechaji or Mechagodzilla for some reason, mm. which was really weird. But, I mean, it, it was a little more accurate. I don't know why they still didn't do Kiryu. Maybe it's just so they 
don't have people confused. I I don't know. Yeah. And then, uh, like I said, the 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 transfer wasn't up to par with the Blu-ray, but it was better than against Mechagodzilla. There certainly wasn't a bitrate problem. <laughs> um, I was just about to ask about that. <laughs> it 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 ran pretty pretty clean, uh, unlike Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. So mm. I got to watch that Tokyo SOS, which I haven't seen in a while. Besides the the Godzilla movies that we have covered, which has been fifty four up to Ghidorah, uh, I haven't watched any. So seeing against Mechagodzilla and Tokyo SOS and Godzilla versus Kong uh, has been kind of a refresher for me because I I haven't watched them in so long. And I forgot how quickly SOS moves. Mm. Um, That movie is really quick to like, once Godzilla shows up, the movie's practically done because it just has that. And I, Nathan and I talked about it and he said, that's just something uh, Tezuka does in his Godzilla movies, Megaguirus against Mechagodzilla and SOS all have that kind of like once Godzilla gets to the modern day like there, it just kind of moves um, mm. and it's I mean, very I've, I've sort of experienced like a similar feeling when I I remember feeling this a lot back when I rewatched Terror of Mechagodzilla but I got this again a bit um from the first uh, Mechagodzilla film where like just those films go by so quickly. I mean, to be fair, they are only like 84 minutes long or so, but like, wow, do they move fast? <laughs> right. They were breeze to get through. And I absolutely love that about them. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Godzilla versus Kong where you're asking, at least for Terror of Mechagodzilla, I think, where you're you don't ask, okay, what's the like where has the plot went? Like Terror of Mechagodzilla has a very clear plot. They just know how to make it work and develop your characters without needing Godzilla. And once Godzilla gets there, the rest of the plot kind of falls through and lines yeah. up. Hmm. It, it, it's kind of refreshing to be able to not need to. It's it's not a marathon. You're not like running to try and get this this narrative. It's a very well put together small narrative. Yeah, it's a simple story mm-hmm. with decent characters, mm. which is something that I think. As as the franchise continues, uh, the monsterverse needs to learn how to do. <laughs> yes, yes. De- develop characters, but keep it a simple story without jumping into seven hundred subplots. A uh, king of the monsters moment. Yeah. <laughs> but beyond that, the Tokusatsu I watched. Uh, I. I could have sworn you hadn't seen this, but I watched Evil Dead Trap 2 Hideki. Yes, you mentioned that last time. Did I? <laughs> yes. Wait, so I did... Wait. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Second time in a row you've forgotten. <laughs> so does that... Did I... So... <laughs> wait, that's not the movie we're covering? No, no, it's not. 
Didn't you watch anything else? I don't think so. Uh, well, do you remember God, the last my... episode enough to to remember the fact that we covered a Minoru Kawasaki film last night? My time? heart just sank. Wonderful. Oh, that that makes me feel awful. Wonderful. But yes, we 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 did we covered. Minoru Kawasaki, and I just got shipping confirmation for Super Legend God Hikoza. Um, I believe Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Hmm. Well, have you have you watched anything else of his recently, you know? Any uh, uh, parodies of timely Japanese films? God, you always put me on the spot here. Yeah, I know, because you're like the 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 main the main host guy. You should like know this stuff. Look, man, I've been doing this for like eighteen hours. Give me a break. Yeah, but surely you'd be at least somewhat organized. Surely. Uh, God, my heart's just sinking. <laughs> really? Because you know the last movie I watched had something to do with sinking as well. Titanic. No. It, are it was we like Japanese, you know? Are we watching the Higuchi 2006 film Japan Sinks? No. I still have not watched that in spite of the fact that I really need to. Then then what what could we is there another movie? We're not we're not covering the submersion of Japan. Nope, sadly not. Sad sadly not. But I, very recently, like today, in fact, even perhaps a matter of some some few hours ago, watched a little film from director Minoru Kawasaki called The World Sinks Except Japan. Oh, that's the title that's on my paper here. I think I watched really? that movie. Yes. Oh, my God. So maybe it's not my heart that's sinking, it's the entire world that's sinking, except Japan. Mm. Oh, and I guess you and I are both dying by the end of this recording. I mean, yeah. Oh, well, these things happen. They they do happen. We'll we'll go down with with the cast. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so with that being said, we're going to cut off the horrible joke that we make every time that the listeners have to deal with for like 5 minutes. We are covering so as as Rex has said, we are covering the Minoru Kawasaki parody, The World Sinks Except Japan, released in 2006. This film yes. was uh, produced in direct response to the 2006 Shinji Higuchi remake of Submersion of Japan, titled Japan Sinks. Mm. And I believe during the Kaiju Mono episode, I brought up that this was quite literally like the studio said, make this to cash in on on Japan uh, on Japan sinks. So with that being said, if you want to Rex, we can jump right into this Minoru Kawasaki film. The second this month we've covered. Mm. Uh, Wonder what the month's theme is. (laughs) I wonder too, you know, April Fool's, it's kind of a funny month. Uh, Spoiling the surprise there. I don't know what you're talking about. This is the second month in. Weekend, not month. Second week. Second weekend. 
We're already halfway over Rex. Well, fancy that, because when we're recording, it hasn't even started. This is true. This is really crazy. So, Rex, do you want to talk about the production behind this film, or do you want to jump into the story here? Hmm. Oh, let's just... I'd say just jump into the story and sprinkle in what production we can. Production info we can. So... First of all, I think we should establish this is actually an adaptation itself. Yes. Um, this is this is a this is based off of a short story about thirty pages long, titled "Everything Other Than Japan Sinks" by Yasutaka uh, Yasu, Susui. Yes, there we go. <laughs> Who um, made a cameo in this movie? And also was in Stacy Attack of the Zombie Schoolgirls and mm. the Shinya Tezukamoto film Gemini. Oh, do you know what scene he was in? Because I heard that he was, I read that he was somewhere in the film, but I don't and really know what he looks like. The world sinks <laughs> except Japan? Yeah. Yeah, so he played the man. That's what his credit is. He is the old business guy with the cigar that asks, uh, our diehard wannabe and Terminator wannabe uh, to act out and he will give them money. Oh, yes. <laughs> so while watching the movie, uh, when you see that, just know that that is the author of the book and mm. just know that he also said that he read the script and he really liked it. He thought it was a faithful adaptation that took his 30-page story and extended it to a 90-minutes-long film quite well. Yeah. And there's a fair few other cameos within the film alongside him. (laughs) There is. So we start off a film in the year 2014 with our two, I guess our two protagonists of sorts um, in a bar and sort of criticizing a Elvis lookalike for his horrible Japanese singing. And then we are introduced to the former president of the United States, Mr. Not George Bush. (laughs) Which I I real quick want to establish that everything that happens in this bar, this bar set, is easily the best stuff in this movie. Like, I'm just going to say that right off the bat. Pretty much. <laughs> Which I remember. So when I started watching it, um, that's that's the first thing I wrote down was love the bar scenes. I thought the comedy was great. I love the satire of the political leaders. Um, yeah. All of that kind of just works really. I don't know if it's well, but it, it is funny. It's very funny. Yeah. And I think that's the best part. But from from after the establishment here of the uh, kind of, I, I guess it's setting the mood. Yeah, because our two main characters, like you said, it pans um, camera rights to to our not George Bush, and then our prime minister walks in, and then we have the uh, leaders of South Korea and China come in. Uh, Russia as well. Russia as well. Um, and and it's really funny because 
they're the only countries that are really established in this movie besides one other one that we'll talk about <laughs> later on. But the rest yeah. are just under the UN. Like, I and I, I think this is an important part because this is Kawasaki kind of emphasizing the major countries that are connected to Japan, which are America. Um, I mean, obviously, because America has land on Japan, which is a talked about. A lot of history as well. With a lot Japan. of history. Um, South Korea, which historically dealt with Japan um, extensively, mm -hmm. uh, trying to take over. Uh, China, which has had a love-hate relationship with Japan um, for centuries. And then Russia, yeah. which uh, in in the war, it's it's theorized that had it not been for America doing what they did, Russia would have went in and tried to take over. And um, I mean, Russia is just a very Russia. Yeah, <laughs> it's Russia. So it's it's interesting that Kawasaki picked these countries specifically because I think, and and. At least in the introduction, uh, it's it is mentioned that these the themes and like the there is some political satire and there's some political stuff in this in this movie. Um, mm -hmm. It definitely was meant to at least be something to consider and think about. Mm -hmm. Uh with the 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 picks they had um specifically i i found it really interesting how china and south korea were played off to be very submissive um yeah which i think's funny i i i and it, it's definitely played off as as, as you know a joke mm. but it also i it kind of makes sense like the movie tries to explain that america is trying to just stay alive at this point mm. they went from being one of the leading countries to quite literally nothing yeah um, the first country to go down <laughs> which i think was deliberate as well i think it was deliberate that like the quote-unquote strongest country in the world is the, the first, first one to go down Yes. And even before and even before it's the first to go down all of all of its leaders have evacuated yes and I, that was <laughs> definitely that was definitely like a jab at 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 america which we'll we'll dive into that as well I will say um as as an australian that is really funny <laughs> this film i i i and i think kawasaki does a great job at just satirizing Every country, even Japan, I mm. think every country like you, you see the political irony throughout the film. Oh, definitely. I Which mean, the film I is by no means subtle about it. <laughs> no. Um, and one of the actors said that the, the film is its themes are about finding the good in the bad. Mm -hmm. Um, which you do you do see, but it it takes a long time for it to finally happen, um, which mm -hmm. we'll talk about a little later. If you want to, we can kind of 
go back into into this story. Um, yeah. So following this introduction of all of our world leaders, we get a very explosive uh, montage in our title sequence. Which, do you think the explosions are stock footage? I think a fair few of them are. <laughs> I want to know Cause... what they're from. I'm not sh- I'm honestly not sure. So to kind of explain, so then we, after this establishment of the bar, we cut to a bunch of explosions. There's also some like volcanic stock footage that yeah. happens, um, which is it's obviously stock footage. But there's explosions that are clearly in worse quality. The film was obviously shot on a digital camera. Um, just yeah, these look like they're on film. On film because of the grain, but mm-hmm. they're miniature, and then they're contrasted with the new shots of like um, the Statue of Liberty being destroyed, which is clearly digital. Right. So, I I couldn't find anything. Um, Kawasaki didn't mention like where the footage came from when I watched it. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of some of the footage that would appear in like. Uh, like some insert shots that would appear in like uh, Heisei and Millennium Godzilla films. Yes. Um, that was stock footage. Yes. Like specifically from like the KU movies during like KU's rampage. Mm-hmm. The, are you um, thinking of specifically that factory that yeah, like I mean, they was don't reused? Use that factory in this film from what I remember, right. but it, but it does sort of, the shots do remind me a lot of that. Yes. And it, I mean, it's obvious the sets are a little cheap. So whatever mm-hmm. they were taking this footage from, it was kind of a cheaper movie. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like maybe a Sentai level. Uh, Super uh, Sentai. I would not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say Sentai. Um, but um, I'm not quite sure what I, what I would call it, to be honest. See, it, to me, it kind of looks like Super Sentai buildings. You see, for me, ha- having my entire experience of Sentai being Jew Ranger, I'm going to say that is a massive compliment for Sentai. <laughs> hmm. See, I've so, only, like, I was thinking of the footage of the... I've seen the clip um, of, of, like, the T-Rex running through the city that's kind of the the footage i'm seeing in my head when i think of those uh, buildings well like the, the 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 like the t-rex sword the tyrannosaur yes i think oh oh sorry i, I think because like when you said t-rex running through the sea i'm i'm just thinking like are you talking about eisenborg <laughs> i wish i wish mm. so after the after after the explosive title sequence, this is where the film kind of gets a little weird for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. it, it 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 doesn't waste time getting to the idea of the world sinking because after the title sequence, it jumps right into explaining why America, Russia, China, and South Korea are all with Japan. Um, yeah. We get an ex- a decently extended flashback set three years before. 
Right. But it's also, to me, it's a little weird because the flashbacks kind of happen for the first, like, 20 minutes. But it doesn't establish when it's a flashback and when it's, like, set. Um, Because I mean, we go back... We go back and... He, like... For the most part, fairly linear and fairly clear. I didn't until have the until the movie star stuff. That's when it gets confusing. Because we go back and it's and it's the report of uh America sinking. And we're watching our main characters like try to get all the news and whatnot. Um as this occurs, that's where we also get the America's leaders have left before everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get our first little joke at, at the American uh, leaders talking about how America must live on. Uh, mm. America is not a place. It is a people, apparently. <laughs> um, and <laughs> did you just now get the reference I was making? No, I, I got it before. I just think it's hilarious. Especially especially being an Australian and knowing and remembering the bushfires from a few years back. See, I don't know what that's referencing, so Hawaii. No clue. No. Damn. Damn. No. I don't. Absolute failure. I know. So I, at least for me, it was the the movie star stuff. At, like it makes sense. America sinks. America Americans go to different countries and whatnot, and then it cuts back to movie stars leaving Los Angeles after the country sank. Which was like okay, so we're now jumping back in time again, only to jump forward in time again for these movie stars to arrive in Japan, mm-hmm. and then from there. We kind of then it, the 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 time jumping fixes itself, and once again it kind of quickly s- gets to the point again with the world sinking. I don't know. I didn't really. I didn't really interpret it as like just with that bit on like the actors and all that. I didn't interpret it as there being time jumps. I kind of just interpreted it as like New York is sinking america is sinking it hasn't fully sunk yet but i could have swore they established that it had i mean they they definitely show it sinking but like the dialogue at least in the sub is like it uh talks about it as it's something that is still happening um gotcha rather than something that has happened gotcha but from there um we follow sort of the Japanese, um, just the Japanese people, specifically the news media, which our main character, our unnamed protagonist, works for, and as well as him, we also follow a bit of the Prime Minister's response to Japan sinking. The Prime Minister um, seeks the advice of Dr. Tadakoro, uh, or Professor Tadakoro, named after the professor from the original Japan sinks <laughs> and and serving essentially the same sort of role. And you want, you were going to say something or 
I was just going to say, but this time more creepy and perverted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I, I mean, perhaps not more creepy per se. He's, he's kind of a bit of a weird weirdo in the original film, to be honest. So hmm. not, not in the same, just not in the same like sex hungry way. But just kind of an odd figure in the first film, I'd say. Gotcha. See, I haven't, and I should establish this now, I haven't seen Japan Sinks, the TV show, the anime, or Submersion of Japan. So Mm -hmm. I don't understand the jokes being made about that. And I haven't read the, the... either the short story that this is based off of or the I'm pretty sure there's a novel about the other yeah. submersion of Japan too. Yeah. Um I have seen the first submersion of Japan film starring Hiroshi Fujioka. Um I was hoping to get to around to watching Japan Sinks 06 before uh this episode but unfortunately I just I didn't get around to it unfortunately didn't have the time. <laughs> But alas, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so Tadakoro basically explains that the whole world, except for Japan, is sinking. A shocking now, revelation. Uh, my best friend watched this with me, and he was like, is it the food that's falling into the water that's making it? Because while he's explaining this, uh, people are having accidents and like dropping their food over a bridge into the water. Um, which I don't think that's what it's insinuating, but it's also Kawasaki, so maybe? Maybe? Maybe that's what caused it? Uh, uh, That's not how I interpreted it. (laughs) Maybe it's saying that uh, littering is causing problems. I mean, they talk a decent bit about the tectonic plates, um, movements in the film, so I'm going to presume that people littering and dropping food had nothing to do with it. Right, right. <laughs> no, and that's something that I, I do give the movie props for, is they do try to explain why it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird, but it, I mean, it makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, I mean, this film is, you know, for going off the last the previous last Kawasaki film I saw, this film is a lot. I would say takes itself more seriously overall. Like it's still a parody film at the end of the day, but it it's it's not just every scene is a haha funny, right? There's like act. It feels like there's an actual legitimate drama going on. Mm-hmm. Outside of just comedic moments here every second. Right. And that's something. So. I. So Kaiju Mono came out in 2016. Um, I, I feel like. And I think he's starting to get away from this because I feel like after this film, he did uh, Monster X Strikes Back Attack the G8 Summit. Mm-hmm. Which, if I recall correctly, I haven't seen that movie in ten over ten years because I hated it so much. <laughs> but it was a it was a straight up like parody comedy satire, so it was yeah. like the the dumbest you can get. 
Yeah. Um, and then you had Pussy Soup, which I mean, it sounds ridiculous. I'm gonna guess that it's it's really stupid too. It's about a tiny cat making soup. Yeah. Um. Then you had Earth Defense Widow. Outer Man, I've heard, isn't as comedic as the rest. So that's kind of the outlier. But then you, uh, after Earth Defense Widow, you had Outer Men. And then I think after that was Kaiju Mono. So I feel like there was like a moment in Kawasaki's career, kind of like this middle part so far, that he kind of drifted into straight up like comedy satire parodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with like Monster Seafood Wars and I'm going to guess Planet Prince and maybe Super Legend God, Super God Legend Hikosa, uh, he's kind of went back to that. Because Monster Seafood Wars is not just a straight up comedy. I mean, there's funny moments, but they also try to be serious as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the subject matter is funny, but they're not trying to be funny, which mm-hmm. is what the world sinks except Japan, Calamari Wrestler, uh, Goalkeeper <clears throat> Crab, Executive Koala, Rug Cup. That's what all of them are. Uh, yeah. Is the subject matter is funny. Like the idea that the world sinks except Japan is funny. Mm-hmm. But they're not playing the jokes about that. Mm-hmm. Which is something I appreciate. I, I and, and I'm happy you pointed out that the world sinks except Japan's more of it, it does have that drama. And there is moments where like it's actually a problem. It's yeah. not like Kaiju Mona where they kind of just make a joke out of the monster. They don't make a joke out of the world sinking except Japan. Mm-hmm. It is causing problems. And they touch on those problems, and and they don't ignore what's going on. Yeah, which is which is really nice. And I think it was good as well, just watching it sort of explore the the effects of what the entire world, except Japan, sinking would bring about. You know, right? Especially and we, things like racial tensions. Yes. And we we start to see that with the next scene after uh, after I mean, even we, at the beginning scene, um, you know, with the with our introduction to um, not Elvis and like the American the American um, president and his assistant, Secretary of State. Yeah, where where this sort of back and forth um, on racism slash xenophobia. Mm-hmm. And that it, it's it's a prominent issue throughout the entire film. Right. And that's something that I I really like the fact that Kawasaki doesn't ignore what that would the, the problems that would bring. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see that with the following scene after the sinking of the rest of the world, um, which is all symbolized by this computer graphic in each continent sinking, which Australia yeah. was the last one to go. Lucky you, Rex. <laughs> um, but then we we go back to the bar, and we have this Terminator wannabe and this Bruce Willis wannabe lookalikes. They in the yeah. cast they're credited as Hollywood stars. Where we have a Japanese man 
played by the author of the short story, come up and say, here, I'll give you money if you can entertain me. So they have they they try to entertain him, but in at the end they're just embarrassing themselves, which sets mm. the tone for the rest of the movie and how foreigners are viewed. And yeah. I was uh it, what's interesting is around the time of this movie, there was in Japan a problem not with immigrants, but with foreigners coming over to Japan. Um if I remember correctly, I've been explained to that you can't actually move to Japan permanently. Oh. From what I've been told, you you have to, like, I can't, like, if you want to move to America, you can just move to America. You just have to get a visa, travel across borders, uh, clear through customs, and, you know, find a way to have a place to live. Which is, mm-hmm. I mean, difficult in of itself, but uh, in Japan, you can't do that. Like, you can come over for military purposes and live on a military base. You mm-hmm. can come over for business purposes, but, like, you, it has to be, like, established prior to moving, whether it's, like, an English teacher or working out of an office building or something like that. Um, you can't you you can't claim residence. You can't become a citizen of Japan. Huh. Um, essentially, you have these like things you have to renew. Like a, I guess it is a citizenship card, but you have to renew it every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, to be allowed to stay in Japan and have like a place of residence. And to live there. So around this time, they were having a lot of foreigners come over. And it was causing some problems. And Japan does have a population problem um, in their their major cities. So the idea of you're having refugees, thousands of refugees from all over the planet come over you're going to have those issues and I, I this they don't talk about this um in the movie but i know most of japan's population is in like tokyo and in the major cities not so much in the in the more like uh nature regional like, areas yes um but I mean, if you have a given for any area that's kind of what yeah. the purpose of a city? This is yeah, <laughs> but like in America, even in those more like rural areas, there's still a lot of people that live there. Um, there are mm-hmm. there are plenty of spots where people don't live, but um, I mean, you can have just as many people living in like non non urban areas as urban areas. Mm-hmm. Um. If you had thousands of refugees come over, you would lose a lot of that. A lot of that, a lot of your nature would die. Um, Mm -hmm. And they kind of cover that on like you can't fish in certain ponds and people have to do that to survive on food, Mm. which causes problems. Food is a massive issue in the film. Um, It is. 
with, you know, Japan, they bring up how Japan relies a lot on importation of certain food items from America and then how because the entire world, you know, um, has to move to Japan, um, food supplies become ridiculously low in a matter of weeks. Food becomes expensive and food, food items that were considered delicacies and kind of rare because of ethical reasons just become commonplace. Like uh, hunting whales, something that is rather frowned upon um, for good reason, just becomes a necessity in mm-hmm. this film. And I'm happy we started talking about this because this is oddly relevant to at least the current market in America. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is, it's said like it's cheaper to just eat out than, than go buy groceries. Like buying mm-hmm. groceries is difficult for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, Which, healthy, healthier food is also, also getting more and more expensive. Right. Um, but like in America right now, we have inflation prices because of stimulus checks and COVID. And we had a huge increase in purchases when COVID hit and then COVID killed the economy. Mm -hmm. Purchases went down to an all time low. And then when everything started going back into quote unquote normalcy, those prices have just kept going up and up and up, whether it's importing fees and taxes or it's just inflation or lack of uh, materials or, you know, all of this stuff. It's, it is quite honestly cheaper to go eat out than go shopping. Mm. And I'm not going to sit here and complain because I, I, this is not a place to complain about inflation and whatnot, but it's just interesting to see this occurring in America right now after a natural disaster. Yeah. And, you know, that's what happens here. And Kawasaki, I think, does a great job at covering the domestic problems that that this does bring. Lack of food supply, increase of prices, homelessness, and... Oh, yeah. uh, Like, all of this is, is brought up. And I mean, homelessness would be a massive issue if in in this situation as well. <laughs> and I mean, we we end up seeing uh, people living in in cardboard houses, cardboard houses, um, just hiding in temples wherever they can go. You know. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite part, so. As the film progresses, uh, we see xenophobic stuff beginning to occur. Mm -hmm. I mean, Japan essentially becomes a totalitarian society Mm -hmm. at a certain point in this film. And if you're not married to a Japanese individual or straight up Japanese, you are viewed as inferior. Which I think would happen. I absolutely believe no matter what country you're in, that would happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, it it does happen in our real world. It does. You know? Countries like China with the, um, I want to say, Uyghur population? I, I want to say that. Um, like, there's 
those issues of discrimination against people who the, who are seen as inferior. I mean, America has quite the history with that. Australia as well. <laughs> so of course that would happen in this sort of scenario where one where there's only one country left in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's it's it's such an interesting concept because of how true it is. And in a way that kind of, it, it removes the comedic and satirical aspects of the world since except Japan, because mm. it doesn't shy away yeah. from the negatives. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I think engaged me more with this overall than Kaiju Mono was that, you know, there, there was an, for, for a parody film, there was a real, there is an aspect of realism mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. Like I totally believe that some of the things addressed in here, maybe not to the, perhaps they wouldn't happen as comedically as they do in this film, but I do totally think that in this sort of scenario, something similar would happen in some cases, similar events have happened after this film was made, you know? So yeah. So yeah. And uh, one of the, I think a cool, really interesting part. So you know, money is becoming a difficult subject mm-hmm. in 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 the film, and you do have and Americans, in real life. It, yeah, in real life too, <laughs> and and you you do have these these problems of living, but some people who moved to Japan were able to be successful initially. Um, Specifically in this movie, the the movie star couple, yeah, and they're they're living in an apartment in Japan. But and this is something I thought was really cool that they they talked about was now that all the countries are gone. I mean, they brought with them their money, but they didn't they didn't con they. I mean, I think it was kind of stupid for them to not like. I was about to say, <laughs> like, wouldn't con- the first thing you do is convert your money to yen? <laughs> right, but they they don't, and maybe it was like the idea of, and this is just maybe head, this is just head canon, but it was initially said that oh, you can still use your money, we will honor it, maybe, but the dollar becomes absolutely worthless. Mm. Yeah, all dollars except for the yen become virtually nothing. <laughs> Which again is happening in real life because of how much money has went into the economy with the stimulus checks. The dollar has decreased in value, which has led to inflation. Mm-hmm. So again, it's oddly relevant to modern day America because of that problem. The yen is, it used to be you could convert it. And with $100, you could get a lot of stuff in the yen. But now, mm-hmm. you can't. Mm. So and in real life, it seems to be quite the opposite at the moment. At least last I checked. <laughs> how so? Because um, I last I'd heard the Japanese economy was doing not the greatest, and the Japanese yen was use, was losing a lot of value when compared to the US dollar. So... See, when I was looking, which admittedly I haven't looked in like a year or so, it was the opposite. It was the dollar was not as 
valuable as it was, but I know I remember some maybe things are changing. But last I heard on it, like the the Japanese yen was at in a real was going to a real bad state. But that I mean, that's even that is relevant. Like the idea yeah. of just money losing value. Um, mm. It's so interesting. And after they establish all of this, this is when uh, specifically our movie stars who are American or Caucasian, at least mm -hmm. they need work. And so yeah. Japan gives them work, but it's as extras in a Den Ace cameo, which was really cool. Mm. Um, Den Ace is actually so. We get kind of it's Denace's Minoru Kawasaki's Ultraman love letter. Yeah, and he appears in a fair few of Kawasaki's films, like of Defense Force. Yes, uh, and it, it was great to see Denace. But on top of that, we also get um, I I took it as maybe as as an Eisenberg reference. Maybe it's a Godzilla reference with the T Rex dinosaur. Um, I I just saw it as like. Just T-Rex monster, you know? Yeah. Just, I just saw it as face value. Maybe it's a Asenborg reference, but it's just the monster of the week for the show. Right. But what's cool is, so it's obviously the villain, and they're like, it eats foreigners. The mm -hmm. The term foreigners becomes almost, I would argue, a derogatory term in this, in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, it eats foreigners. So Denace comes. And then when Denace falls, he falls only on foreigners. So yeah. even even the hero is getting rid of foreigners. But that's the yeah. only way they can make money is becoming these uh Well that's it well that's the thing. Um like at the start of the film, the foreign actors first you know, the the Japanese TV networks were first getting all the foreign actors to star in all of their programs but then because a the japanese people got sick of seeing foreigners and b the the foreigners who would watch you know their home actors couldn't afford tvs low ratings um led to the foreigners going out of out of work and having to um essentially just rely on these extra roles where they get quite literally stomped on <laughs> And I thought that was I thought that was an interest I thought that was really interesting and something that it was you know I could I could legitimately see something similar to that happening in a real world scenario. Yeah, and like the idea that they put that thought into it is great because like mm -hmm. there has to be I, some like I think there was some I thought some of the thoughts in this movie were legitimately really interesting. Mm -hmm. it's it's obvious they went and they wrote okay what would be the domino effect with this because yeah. everything kind of follows how i i genuinely think it would happen in real life this occurred so this happens and then this happens and that is the most interesting part about this film is everything's a domino effect and it's a strangely maybe believable isn't the right word but like realistic approach yeah like mm -hmm. to this ridiculous scenario and it's it's really interesting to see this 
Um, from this point, however, the, the the movie star subplot because you you have your main plot of like Japan dealing with this, and then you get the subplot with the movie star, which I think is really boring. Like I feel like they yeah. could cut the movie star plot. It, it feels pointless. You see, I feel it starts off interesting, but it it takes up too much of a film. I agree. Um, which that was a jarring like transition. But I just wanted to, because, you know, as as all of this, these interesting concepts are coming, the the development of this subplot between the married couple divorcing and then getting intertwined with our other characters feels kind of pointless. Like you don't need it. Mm. You could write it differently and save yourself maybe five, six, seven minutes I mean, it's not a lot of time, but nonetheless, it's it feels pointless to include. Yeah, especially with how the film does end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but following the establishment of the foreigners, we get a nice Ultraman reference beyond the Dennis cameo. We get Gats. <laughs> which is the establishment of the Gaijin Gaijin attack team, which is a reference to Matt, the monster attack team from return of Ultraman. Correct. And yeah, I think the logo looked pretty similar to the Matt. It logo. did. It did. Um, RIP Jiro 10. I was going to say, do you want to take a pause there since we have a perfect moment to acknowledge the passing of Jiro Dan uh, yeah. actor for Hideki Go? Uh, from Return of Ultraman and as well G card, the the commander from Godzilla Island. So, real quick, we just uh, on March twenty second, Jiro Dan passed away from lung cancer. He had be he had been battling since I believe I read twenty nineteen. Um, oh, wow, which is weird because he was the first Ultraman host to pass away. Mm. Um. Which uh, we talked about in the live stream, and Danny Demana uh, mentioned that it's really weird because this has never happened, and none of the Ultraman hosts have passed away, so they they did feel immortal. Like the the thought of of an Ultraman host dying is just has never crossed my mind. Like to me. The actor for Den Moriboshi and Shin Hayata will never not be here. Mm. But unfortunately, time time still moves, and yeah, Jura Den's the first to go, and probably over the next few years we'll eventually Stop. see more. Stop. I'm sorry, I'm no, sorry, but no. it's true. Don't, <laughs> don't do this to me. I'm like, sorry. I'm just I'm just saying it, okay? It sucks. It does. I agree. I, I hate this. So <laughs> many actors have been passing away recently. That's like I know. why why Takarada, Takarada Sonny Chiba, mm. um Jason David Frank, Frank. Mhm. It's it's so weird. And it's it's kind of scary. Yeah. 
Because to me, this is like a lot of these people are Showa. And mm. it's like the last wave of Showa actors that that like 60s and 70s. That's what we're seeing yeah. go right now. And that's like, stop. I, mean, I, think, I think the only person from 54 that is like from that entire production that we know for a fact is still alive. is like Sahara Kenji Sahara. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Like which maybe somehow Katsumi Tezuka is alive, but I highly doubt he is over 100 years old personally, mm-hmm. <laughs> but technically not confirmed. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. Right. And you, I mean, you still have like Chumi Mizuno, um, mm. And a few others. Yeah. Tomoko Ai is still Kurobe. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's not, I'm not liking the era we're in now. It sucks. It, it, does. it really does suck. I, I feel like this is how the kaiju fans felt in the 90s when we were losing Ishiro like, Honda, Honda, Rada, all them. Mm hmm. I, I'm so happy I wasn't alive for Honda's death. I, I feel like that would have absolutely torn that me apart. Sucked. Um, but I, I just wanted to stop real quick while we had kind of a, a little segue here to talk about Jiro Dan and, and pay respects. Yeah. Um, which it's weird to kind of transition from this because following the establishment of Gat is probably the weirdest part of this movie, but it's also my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really lighthearted. So I guess it's kind of nice to go from the depressing thing to the lighthearted thing. And that's the Nippon <laughs> video. Oh, <laughs> it took you a second to think of what I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so following like the establishment of, of basically the anti-foreigners division, like made to like this... take, take care of foreigners and deport them. The term deporting is used a lot in this movie. Yeah. This Again, is sort of where, you know, Japan really becomes totalitarian mm-hmm. in the film. So we get what I have in, has have interpreted as like a video, uh, like an advertisement for the prime minister on how he is saving Japan and restoring Japan to its true natural beauty. Yeah, while everybody restoring else restoring the Shoah ambition. <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to say that. Um. While foreigners are following what he has to say, yeah, and it's a stupid it's a propaganda video. Yes, and it's it's a stupid dance video with this music that goes on for maybe a minute too long, but like I thought it was absolutely hilarious. It's so. great. In my notes, I put Nippon video is bomb with four exclamation points. <laughs> like I love it. Hmm. And I mean, as ridiculous as it is, it's you know it's a type of video that we do and will continue to see being posted. Um, maybe not, maybe like on television, online, all that sort of thing. You you have it 
these countries that, you know, are putting up videos to sort of promote a positive image of them. Like countries like North Korea upload to TikTok, trying to upload videos to TikTok, trying to promote tourism in the country and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I I 100% believe like you would get videos like this in, in this sort of scenario where Japan is, is really just making itself just trying to get that nationalism, you know? Mm -hmm. It, and the whole idea behind it is to boost national morale and yeah, exactly. really, really push the idea of uh, Japan's the greatest. Mm. Um, I mean, the fact that their country was the one that didn't sink alone boosted uh, the country country's morale, but from there, yeah. like you, they they constantly were building up. Like foreigners are trash; they are not less than human. Yeah, I mean, with Gats, we see them take flamethrowers to the cardboard cities. I'm going to call them, um, burning down the houses, dragging people away, getting on top of people, restraining them with their legs. And arresting them, which yeah. oddly, like around 2020, kind of what was going on in America, kinda, mm. you know, that I, I that's a very I mean, picky subject, America. but not just America. <laughs> this is true. But from my perspective, like that was happening a lot in, in, in America. Yeah. I'm not going to dive into it because it's, it's, it's a <laughs> beyond, very, the, beyond the scope of our, of our little podcast. It is, it's a very heavy subject, but again, World Sinks Except Japan is touching on these things that would occur and these things that would happen and have happened. Mm. Um, And from here, then they start. Then they, they open up the idea of if you report your illegal immigrants, we'll give you, you food, which reminded me immediately of Devil Man, where mm -hmm. you would get rewarded for reporting people who oh, are yeah. actually demons. Oh, yeah. This whole GAT section really reminded me a lot of Devil Man. I mean, just having, you know, this sort of police, this totalitarian police squad hunting down um, and murder, uh, well, not murdering, but deporting people, you know, and, and especially when they brought in the flamethrowers, I'm like, devil man. <laughs> yeah. It, it was really scary because it's, it, it felt a lot like devil man. It didn't remind me of devil man because it was a better movie. Um, <laughs> but again, Kawasaki here is, touching on and, and exploring very heavy topics. Mm. Yeah, and, and I hope someday you watch a different, you watch or read a different version of Devil Man. <laughs> Devil Man. <laughs> you, um, Devil Man has just been tainted for you. And it's genuinely true. sad. Yeah, maybe one day. One day. Yes, um, one day you do need to. So from here, the movie starts kind of wrapping up. Uh, they have spent most of the movie now exploring what is happening. Um, 
with with the world at this point and and essentially the crumbling of civilization as we know it mm-hmm. which is oddly humoristic i think because it is mirroring what is occurring to japan as well um one thing we haven't talked about is the subplot of the scientists saying that everything's going to be fine he's just kind of living life but he's not telling people what's going to happen he's like just live life um and from here we uh we start to conclude um our foreigner who is married to our main character she finds the movie star actor uh falls in love with him leaves leaves her husband for him they get deported um the movie star who actor was married she turns to selling herself to get money um and i'm trying to remember what happened to her mm. did they did they leave her story i don't remember there were there were a couple characters who i felt kind of just disappeared like the the like the movie producer who was with that actress woman his wife just disappears (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah um he's one of our three main like characters correct yeah um yeah and they they he finds out that he he's going to be a father um but towards i would say it's a 90 minute movie to about at the 60 minute mark or at 70 towards the 70 minute mark everything that's kind of established is dropped to mm. wrap things up mm. um our subplot with the movie stars is is kind of dropped um gat is I, I feel like Kawasaki's thought process was focus on so the first like twenty or so minutes is focusing on the events occurring. The next thirty minutes, thirty to forty minutes is just following what would occur while this all happens with our main characters. And the mm-hmm. last thirty minutes, thirty to forty minutes is what happens when time has run out for everybody. Yeah. And so this is where we enter our final act of the film. Yes. So we return to the bar where our three main characters that we've been following, they're all reporters. They're all in the entertainment industry. They've been trying to get this news. They basically wallow in their sorrows. One of them, their wife left them. One of them slept with the movie actress, uh, who worked for the other guy or was going to work for the other guy who's a big fan. So they're all kind of like in this awkward situation. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole time, by the way, China and South Korea have been lapdogs for Japan. They've been like the yes, sir. Yes, ma'ams of, of for Japan. Yeah. Um, and in the bar, there's these waiters that are a little suspicious. And then they go and they you can see there's a plot developing with them. One of them pulls out a AK-47 from a toilet. Um, 
and then they are held hostage. They all come out, and and we find out that there is another country in Japan. Uh, also, I, I should establish that Japan has basically not been cooperative with anybody, as you yeah. know, the, the totalitarian. I can't speak. Totalitarian. Um. So everybody's kind of now just at at the shoes or at the feet of Japan. Until the Northern Dictator, that's what he's called. The Northern Dictator appears and says, you are going to follow my commands or you will die. So the Northern Northern Dictator is Kim Jong-un. Yeah. Um, which <laughs> is hilarious. I love, I love the idea, like he's the new Hitler. Hitler appeared so much in, in Showa Toku, it's like, why? Why do, why do we have Hitler appear? Why do we have Nazi equivalent Hitler villains? Um <laughs> Rex picked up what I put down. Um <laughs> and, and Kim Jong-un kind of replaces Hitler in that regards. Um and from there we learn that they've even invaded the diet building and they're trying to take over Gats and the uh military they're they're yeah. quite literally trying to take over um and become the new totalitarian totalitarian yes uh, that's how you say it rulership yep. which is funny because that is what north korea is but japan became that and now they're trying to take that back from japan yep. um which is where our uh secretary of defense uh is like yes. you're not going to do that <laughs> I have bombs strapped to me and I will die before I let anybody <laughs> take over Japan. And he quite literally blows up the diet building. We you we know, are watching. Do you know who, you know who I plays? Do. I do. <laughs> I was I was gonna wait till I go on my little ramble about uh the cast and crew of this film. Yeah. Uh which is <laughs> which makes it all the better to know who he is. Hmm. Do we, do we want to just stop and talk about him? Yeah. Rex, go ahead. <laughs> so the Secretary General, or Defense Secretary, is played by Hiroshi Fujioka. For those who don't know who Hiroshi Fujioka is, he is Takeshi Hongo in Kamen Rider, a.k.a. Kamen Rider Ichigo. But he also played um, the main character of the original 1973 Japan Sinks. <laughs> yes, he was also in the original X from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. And um, E-Spy. Hmm? And, and June Fukuda's E-Spy. This is true. I was. Uh, I also saw that he was in uh, Goalkeeper Crab, another Kawasaki film, Ten Nights of Dreams, and Orochi the Eight-Headed Dragon. Um, oh, he's in, in Orochi? Mm-hmm. And he's also, he was in Ultraman Towards the Future. Um, was he? Yes, he was the narrator. Oh, must have been the Japanese dub. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and he appears in Common Rider quite frequently. Um, yeah, whether he's playing Comes his character. Yeah. So it was really cool to see him in this film and be the dude to be like, "You're not going to take over and just destroy the Japanese government." <laughs> Like at that moment, basically what happens is the Japanese government is falling. 
Yeah. Which is kind of nice that, spoiler alert, Japan sinks. Um, Whoa. It's like the because, title of the original. Yeah. Uh, because had it not, I'm pretty sure the entire like country would have just collapsed because your government is falling. Like, oh, 100%. North, North Korea does cripple Japan at the end of this movie to basically everybody's going to it'll become pandemonium. I mean, even if it doesn't, like, the country was on the path to destroy itself, essentially. (laughs) Right. And the ending here, and this is my last note on the film, is the end is pandemonium. It is absolute crazy. It is, like, everything. This final, even though it's taking place all in this bar... It feels like so much is happening. There are so many people, so many moving parts. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And like this is the state of the world. It is absolutely crazy. Um, so following the destruction of the diet building and Japanese government, essentially, um, yeah. an earthquake occurs and people take that as a moment to stop Kim Jong-un, take back control. Uh, knock out the Japanese prime minister. <laughs> like I said, pandemonium. Like this is where the free for all happens. This is this is where like the beginning of anarchy is happening. And then the earthquakes freaks everybody out, and the lights go out, and they're like, "Wait, we still have a candle." So they light this candle, and they are like. Oh, I should also establish that the uh, professor, before all of this happens, rolls in on a bike and is like, we're all going to die. Um, Japan will be sinking. Uh, so have fun. <laughs> um, And that's where they're all like, this is going to be the last light we see. Uh, and it's 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 it goes back to that theme of finding the good and the bad. And while, yes, we just had a ton of anarchy and pandemonium, everybody stops for the common goal of like, this is our last bit of light before we die. Yeah. Um, and it, it it's nice to see that even through all of us at the very end, humans come together, which I mean, it's nice. Um, it goes kind of against everything else, but it's trying to find the good in, in human humanity. And I'd like to think at the end of the day, when the world comes crumbling down, humanity would at least come together in the final hours to just acknowledge it's the final Mm. hours of humanity. Um, We can hope (laughs) we can hope. And our professor makes the statement of even with end endings, there is new beginnings insinuating even after humanity's gone, something will take its place. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what's to say that continents will not come back in thousands of years and new life will grow. Mm-hmm. And the movie ends with all of our characters Everybody from all walks of life standing in this circle as water comes flooding and Japan finally sinks to its watery grave. Yep. 
And that's the plot of this movie. They filmed it in 10 days. 10 days? 10 days. Wow. Oh. There's a lot here. I did not hear that it was 10 days. Oh, wow. <laughs> in my research, that's what I found is it was 10 days. My God. Wow. It was also a, a huge hit at the box office. Uh, people actually thought that this was really good. Mm-hmm. I've read, though, since then, it's its standings have not been to par, and people have not liked it as much. Um, mm-hmm. My best friend, well, at the end of it was like, I don't think they should be allowed to make low-budget movies because this looked low-budget. Um, he He doesn't appreciate independent cinema like I do. Um, <laughs> but for me, like, it's not about the presentation as much as it is the, the, what is in it, what is in this yeah. movie. And this movie has a lot. And Kawasaki specifically said he wants this to resonate with the Japanese to kind of reassess mm-hmm. their outlook on things and to take a step back and just think about everything. Yeah. Because this isn't entirely fiction Mm. we we see the problems of society in this movie happen not to this level the fact that you and i can even talk about even even consider that any of this could happen i think says says a good amount yes wholeheartedly agree and because of this i i feel like this is one of Kawasaki's most detailed movies he's done. Something mm-hmm. that I didn't realize until upon until you know rewatching it, because mm-hmm. I've watched most of his work. Um, I haven't seen all of his work, as I've established. I think last time I haven't seen Earth Defense Widow, um, Goalkeeper Crab, Kabuto Beetle, Pussy Soup, uh, President Tanuki, or Planet Prince twenty twenty one. Yeah, but. I don't think any of those can hit the sheer commentary and and discussion that this film has. And unlike Kaiju Mono, where they quite literally said in in interviews, this movie is about nothing. You take it as a joke. This Mm -hmm. one felt like they were trying to say, yes, there's stuff in this movie. It's not meant to be entirely serious but it's not to me meant to be a joke either or yeah oh 100 percent. i mean a lot of the things a lot of like those things that maybe consider maybe there's an maybe there's some sort of theme in like um kaiju mono uh like one scene gags like i still don't think there wasn't at least some commentary even if it was still like meant to be entirely played off comedically. Um, but like here, like the film, like a whole xenophobia is probably one of the biggest issues within the film. Mm-hmm. And it's a consistent one from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. So to, to say there's no, to say this film is utter nonsense would be dismissive. Right. <laughs> And it's kind of disappointing that not many people know about this film. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, a lot of these disaster films kind of get overlooked. Especially in, in the world of tokusatsu. Yes. Um, oh, disaster, war, and even to an extent, horror films get overlooked a fair bit. I would agree. I feel like it's it's your science fiction that is the most... Yeah. Science fiction and action get the most... Uh, science fiction and superheroes, I'd say. Yes. Uh, get the most limelight in, in the genre of tokusatsu, followed by horror, then mm. your disaster ending with war films. Yeah. Um, which, it, it's disappointing because films like The World Sinks Except Japan, while, yes, it's a low-budget comedy that's a, a parody of another film, it doesn't shy away from so much. There, this mm. film... It's really surprising to think this is a Minoru Kawasaki film because yeah. it's not stupid. Mm. It is quite the opposite. It is a very intelligent movie for what it is. Mm. Oh, compared to what I was expecting out of it, 100%. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Especially it may not. I lost film. It may not look like Kaijumono. Kaijumono, I, I will say, I think is his most professional looking movie. Mm. But it, like I said, it's not about how it looks; it's about what it does. I I didn't think this movie necessarily looked bad. Honestly, it doesn't look bad, but it it definitely rings of. It it looks like mid two thousands independent Japanese movie. I mean, I'm. I'm not going to say it's like a high-budget Japanese film. It definitely doesn't have that look. But I wouldn't even call it terribly low-budget looking. Personally. Right, it's it's not terrible. There's, some, there's, some, there's clearly some budget backing it. Right. It's not no budget. It's very clearly got something. There's very clearly actual lighting. <laughs> right. Actual lighting and, and some sets, yes. Yeah. Even if it does reuse some sets, I, like the bar set is reused for a fair bit, it's it's a pretty good looking set. Mm-hmm. And wherever they got the the miniature explosion stuff, it looks decent. Like I, I like that. I like how it looks. Yeah, that stuff looks good. So overall, I I really I I think World Sink Except Japan is probably one of my favorite Kawasaki films. Mm. Um, but oh, it's, it's definitely. definitely it's definitely better than Kaiju Mono. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> and I'm curious to see what where this goes. Um, this is your second Kawasaki film, correct? Yes. Okay. So I'm curious to see by the end of this month, in case it's I you didn't hear me before, this this whole month we are covering Minaru Kawasaki films. Mm-hmm. Um I'm curious to see if this one stays on top. Um, yeah. Well, we'll have to do what we did in October and have another ranking. <laughs> I feel like every time we do like these month long things, yeah, we should we should at the end have like a ranking of like best to worst. I agree. I agree. But no, this this movie is quite the surprise. Mm. Um, it is surprisingly profound. Mm-hmm. Which is what especially, I especially so. I mean, the movie, it's it's a Kawasaki film. And with that, you get Kawasaki producing, co-writing, and directing. His screenplay, uh, his his co-writer was 
Masaken uh, Mikita, mm-hmm. uh, who also did Monster Seafood Wars, Outer Man, Death Kappa, Pussy Soup, Monster X Strikes Back, Goalkeeper Crab, Executive Koala, uh, Calamari Wrestler. He also wrote episodes of Tiga Dina Gaia and was an actor in Gaia and an actor in Time Ranger. Um, mm-hmm. Which if you, I, I noticed something is for most of these, like a lot of these personally, I think are Kawasaki's better works. Again, I haven't seen Pussy Soup, so I can't comment or Goalkeeper Crab. Um, well, you may disagree with the Monster X Strikes Back from I do. what you were saying earlier. <laughs> I do. And I guess I haven't seen Outer Man, but Executive Koala and Calamari Wrestler kind of, I think, uh, follow suit to be more interesting uh kawasaki titles so it's it's nice to see him work on this and as i was doing my research on the cast and crew only a few actors appear in kaiju mono um a lot of the crew behind kaiju mono is not a part of this um Mm -hmm. this film was produced by akio jisoji uh directed segments of 10 nights of dreams uh ultra q the movie uh, Ultra Q Dark Fantasy, Ultraman Max, Dinah, Tiga. I mean, are we forgetting the elephant in the room of Ultraman? Ultra 7? That sort of stuff? <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> um, he also directed Tokyo The Last Megapolis. Or he didn't direct it. He produced that one. He also mm. produced another one of uh, Kawasaki's films, The Rug Cop. Yeah, um, and was a writer on Return of Ultraman, Ultraman Tiga, and Silver Mask, the 1970s show. He also directed the 2006 remake, mm-hmm. which I feel like Akio Jisoji is becoming a more relevant uh, person mm-hmm. since uh, people have started to acknowledge Ano's influence by him. Yeah, um, I mean, it helps that Ultraman has become more available. This is true. This is very true. So it's nice to see his name pop up. Yeah. Um, we also had uh, Masunobu Suzuki, who produced, uh, co-produced Monster X Strikes Back and Silver Mask as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had two Godzilla Final Wars actors in this movie. We yeah. had Cynthia. Our main character is Kenji Kohashi, who was the... Um who was the cosplayer of the controller in Godzilla Final Wars, appearing mm-hmm. in the scene that um, had re- the Ryuhei Kitamura cameo. Mm-hmm. He was also in uh, Azumi. Yes. Uh, we also Kitamura film. Mm-hmm. We also had uh, Cynthia Cheston, who was in mm-hmm. Godzilla Final Wars. She also appeared in Zebra Man 2, Attack on Zebra City. Um which I, I just wanted to throw out there because I love Zebra Man. <laughs> um, our, He's a cool guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> our One of our other main characters, uh, Shuji Kashiwabra, Wabara, Kashiwabara. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the movie producer. He appeared in Kamen Rider Revis, Alien vs. Ninja, and Long Dream, a J-horror movie. Um, and our third and final uh, entertainment, like our, tri- uh, our trio of main characters, 
Masatoshi Matsu was in Ultraman Cosmos, The Blue Planet, Pulse, and Tomi Replay. And then we yeah. had... Uh, actually, we have three Godzilla Final Wars actors. Kenji uh, Motomara appeared in two uh, Takashi Yamazaki films, Space Battleship uh, Yamato and Returner. This is the lead uh, leader for Ga- uh, Gats, by the way. He okay. appeared in Space Battleship Yamato and Returner. He appeared in Big Man Japan, another uh, kaiju parody film. Gamera the Brave and Godzilla Final Wars. Oh. Who did he uh, play in Final Wars? It said he was just a military person, I believe. So uh, he was probably what about the just... Brave? Uh, it didn't give me a character on the Brave. It just said he was in it. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah. And then we had Nomaru Abe, who I was surprised by this. Um, so when it comes to Kawasaki films, he was in Kaiju Mono. He was in Earth Defense Widow, Monster X Strikes Back, Attack the G8 Summit, and the Calamari Wrestler. Beyond that, he also appeared in some Ultraman stuff. He appeared in Ultraman Nebius, Ultraman Nexus, Ultraman Tegan, Ultraman Dinah, and Ultraman Dinah, the TV show. He also appeared in Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, and has recently been making his rounds in the 3Y stuff. He was in Nezra 1964, Ghost Cat Rhapsody, and the upcoming Hoshi 35 movie. Which actor did you say this was again, sorry? Nomaru Abe. Um, and the last, uh, significant, uh, cast member that I wanted to bring up was the suit actor for Dennis. Ah, Hurricane Ryu. Yes. The suit actor for King Ghidorah and various other Heisei Godzilla Kaiju, including Godzilla himself for Adventure Godzilla Land. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't, he was also, he was Godzilla in Final Wars? No. He was Kaiser Ghidorah, right? Was he in Final Wars? I don't think Hurricane Ryu was in Final Wars. Maybe I know he did a lot of promotion for the Godzilla series. Like, he was in Godzilla suits a lot for, like, promotional material uh, around, like, the Heisei era. Gotcha. I I don't think he ever played a kaiju in a Godzilla film, at least, after Destroyer. Well, he was in... Oh, that's right, because he was just an extra in Godzilla 2000. He was in Mika Droid. He played the main robot villain. Uh, he yeah. was Ghidorah, Batra, Little Godzilla. He was in Orochi. I believe he was the hero uh, monster character. I don't know how to pronounce yeah, its name. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a something. I don't quite remember either. <laughs> he was junior, so he did play a Godzilla. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, as I said, he was in Adventure Godzilla Land, which was mm-hmm. promo- which was like a promotional show for the Heisei films, mm-hmm. specifically Mothra and MG Two. Mm-hmm. And then he also he was a frequent uh, person to appear in Kawasaki films. He played the main uh, squid in Calamari Wrestler. He played. Wasn't I mean, he Gilala in? He was Gilala. Mm-hmm. He was the goalkeeper crab and goalkeeper crab. He was the kaiju and earth defense widow. He was Mono in Kaiju Mono, which I'm surprised I missed that doing my research last week. And he played uh, one of the failure, failure. I know, right? He played <laughs> one of the four uh, kaiju and monster seafood wars as well. Huh. Wait, I'm really tempted. 
that well there's three plus a robot um i'm really tempted because i'm going to all monsters attack um and i believe he's going to be there i'm really tempted to bring like a kawasaki film and have him sign it (laughs) you should that he'd be he'd probably laugh at that he'd probably think that was a good good funny moment get him to sign monster extract back I I feel like if I did that, I'd have him do like executive koala, like the the weird one that like a kaiju fan would not bring. Mm. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to bring up was the prime minister in World Sinks except Japan was in the TV version of Japan Sinks. Yeah, um, which I I the reason he appeared in this movie was because of that role. That's why he got hired on was because of his past experiences. Yeah. I mean, we've got him and Hiroshi Fujioka, but I believe there was also a cameo from another actor in the Japan Sinks 2006 film. Yes. Yes, there was. And that was the... It was uh, like a news reporter or something, if I remember right. Was it or was it the cabinet member that said he was married? Oh I, no! I, it, it was the news reporter. It was the uh, foreigner newscaster, the one yeah. telling the forecast. He he appeared yeah. in in both Japan Sinks and the World Sinks, except Japan. Yeah. Um. From what I read as well, there were plans to get a lot more of the actors from the 06 film, but like due to scheduling conflicts, and you know, I probably imagine that like ten day shooting schedule, they could only get that one actor, I believe. Mm-hmm. But like, even, apparently, even some of the ones from that '06 movie genuinely wanted to be in this film, which I think is interesting. Well, even the original writer—I don't. Did I bring up that the original writer of *Submersion of Japan* uh, really supported this movie? Yeah, yeah, I remember reading about that. Yeah. So a lot of people were were in support of this movie, which was great because I, I, it turned out to be like a really good, good film. So overall, like this, it's not a stacked cast like uh, Kaiju Mono, but it it definitely doesn't need to be because, I mean, you've got Hiroshi Fujioka. This is true. <laughs> so you got Carmen Rider himself. So pretty good, pretty good cast, I'd say. Yeah. So I mean, we've been going for about two hours now. Yeah. I feel like we've covered pretty much everything we can about this movie. Mm-hmm. Like we we've went through, I mean, there's a few like subplot stuff we haven't talked about, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I feel like a lot of the subplot stuff falls to doesn't add much to the film mm-hmm. compared to the rest of this, which, which definitely does. Mm-hmm. So with that, I, like I said, I, I I would put this above Kaiju Mono. Oh, 100%. Um, this is actually one of my favorite comedic parody films that I've watched. This one is really, really smart with how it does its, its parody work and satire. Mm-hmm. So with that, I'm kind of out of things to say about this movie. Was there anything else you really wanted to bring up? No, not really in particular. I think we've covered most of what we can without just repeating ourselves over and over. That's fair. 
Um, well, with that, I guess we can wrap things up here. Um, though I will say this. The one thing uh, I noticed is the movie moves very quickly, despite being like five or six minutes, maybe too long. The movie mm-hmm. moves very quickly um, and wraps up rather quickly as this podcast appears to have. We went from talking pretty in detail to being like, well, that's that's that. The world has sunk. We're dead. Yeah. There should totally be there should totally be a website. You know how there's did Thanos kill uh, dot me? Mm-hmm. Did I sink with the world dot me? Yes. Yes, you did. I know I definitely did. I told my best friend, I was like, yeah, I definitely died. <laughs> I didn't make it to Japan. Mm-hmm. Bro, do you know how quick you would have to be to make it to, to Japan <laughs> in this movie? Very quick. Yeah. I mean, there was a jet that only could have 500 people on it filled with 4,000 and it crashed. <laughs> That's right. That was a really funny. There, there are funny lines throughout this, but like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't lose eye of mm-hmm. that kind of important stuff that it it doesn't shy away from discussing. Yeah. Um, speaking of important stuff of discussing, if you guys have been enjoying listening to us talk about this stuff, you can also support us. And if Rex, if you're ready, why don't you tell the people where you can where they can support you. Oh, well, dear listeners, if you want to support me, you can check me out on YouTube at Rex Zeno on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph and on Instagram, uh, Rex underscore Zeno. And if you want to check out some of my writings, go take a look at the Tokusatsu network. Definitely do that. And all of our links can be found in the description, in the show notes below. Um, Just check out those link trees and everything will be there. If you want to support me, Elijah, hi, I'm the host, I think. No. Maybe not. No. No? Okay. I'm not the host. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at ET13Productions, on Twitter at ET13Productions, or on Instagram at ET13Productions. But also, if you want to help support this podcast, as we talked about at the beginning of this, we've been gaining some speed, which I greatly appreciate. Um, you can help us elsewhere. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. We have been review bombed and we're still sitting at a 3.1. So if you want to help bump us up, definitely go leave us a five-star review. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't. That's a lie. And I am... He still hasn't changed it. Yeah. And full disclosure, like this coming Wednesday, I might be getting an iPhone. I might be getting a second phone. And since I'm getting an iPhone, I also need to get an Apple Watch. So I'm going to... Why do you need an Apple Watch? I have... So I'm going to have two phones. I'm going to have an Android. I'm going to have an Apple. I already yeah. have the Samsung Galaxy Watch. I can't do a Samsung Galaxy Watch and an Apple iPhone. I need to go get an Apple Watch. So on the days I feel like being Android, I'll wear my Samsung Watch with my Android. And on days I feel like being Apple, I'll have my Apple with my Apple Watch. I don't even have a watch. 
I have an analog watch. I have my Samsung watch, and I'm gonna get an Apple watch. I don't understand people, man. Look, don't ask questions. <laughs> Is that what the average multiverse fan said? <laughs> You know, speaking of average MonsterVerse fan, I just realized we went a whole nother episode without referencing Shin Ultraman or The Ring. We couldn't, no, we couldn't bring those Sadako. in. I mentioned Sadako earlier. That is true. You did. You did. So I guess I guess The Ring virus does come back, but Shin yeah. Ultraman does not. It, it just loops around, you know. It does. <laughs> Uh, but if you don't have an Apple device, you can rate us on Spotify. That is now something they offer. They also ask you at the bottom of the Spotify podcast page for each episode if you like this episode. If you want to leave us feedback there, too, that would be great. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, you can tweet us and follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, which... You know, some people don't. You can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can Indeed. email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have some original artwork, but until then, you can sport an awesome logo we have. If you'd like to chat with Rex and I more, you can check out our Discord server where we're active and others with similar interests are too. Recently, the most uh, recent discussion in our general chat appears to have been about... Gamera, I imagine? It looks like it's uh, Gamera mm. and discussing... Uh, it looks like there was a photo of Chibi Godzilla with... Ah, uh, like man. Yeah, oh, yeah, Gridman <laughs> from the recently released uh, Gridman Universe movie. Can't wait um, to see that. I hear it's incredible. I have heard pretty good things as well. So I still need to watch Gridman the Hyper Agent, SSSS Gridman, and SSSS Dino Zenon before I can watch Gridman Universe, but I'll get to it. I just have to watch everything else. Um it's a great community full of great people. We have a lot of great conversations. And as I brought up earlier, we did just have a live stream. Don't forget mm -hmm. to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you could be notified anytime we upload a video or go live. We post mm -hmm. exclusives on the channel like bloopers or episodes, minisodes, live streams. And we also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes. Sometimes they're crazy. You know, this is two, almost two and a half hours long at this current Ooh. moment. Um, he puts in a lot of effort, so definitely support him. All of his stuff can be found in the description below. He edits all of our content. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeMano of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website, godzillanovelizationproject.com. We also would like to thank Ratton Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at Giant Monster BS 
or go to any podcast platform and look up the name Giant Monster BS and check him out. And with that, I think we're going to wrap things up here. We survived the sinking of the world except Japan oh, for now. Wow. How did we do that? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Japan. Yeah. It's weird. So we thank you. in the middle of the ocean with our computers? Yep, that's what we're doing. Oh, damn. Titanic style on a, on a, on a door. <laughs> it's a miracle I'm getting Wi-Fi service here this good. Yeah, how is my computer running? <laughs> Magic. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for listening. It's much appreciated. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't already, definitely check out World Sinks Except Japan. There's a lot to uh, eat, take from this movie um, hmm. and a lot to, to think about and, and chew on. Yeah. So with that, we're going to wrap things up here. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Too now.